Lego, it's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, go pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations. We'll chat with industry-leading fundraisers. We'll chat with thought leaders to explore all those hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right, let's get going. Welcome back. We're so glad to have you with us. If you've been with us before, thank you, thank you, thank you for making our show so popular. If this is your first time, well, we're so glad you're here. So glad you're joining the Raise uh, Nation community. We do stream on 10 different podcast channels. So you'll what that means is that you can follow us on your favorite so that you can get notifications and up to date about all of our new guests and episodes and shows. And if you miss it on your favorite podcast channel, then just check it out at onecause.com. But we hope you like today's episode and um, decide to tune in for more. We have a good conversation planned for you today, and I'm super excited. It's the beginning of a new year, and we have Jean-Marc Vanderpool from Social Impact Solutions. And we've had a couple of conversations before we decided to do this podcast together, and I'm just fascinated. So I know you will be too. So please welcome, give a warm welcome to our guest, Jean-Marc from Social Impact Solutions. Jean-Marc, welcome to Raise Nation Radio. Don, thank you so much. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, I love some of our conversations. I feel like every time we connect, we don't have enough time to get through everything we want to get through. So I want our audience to fall in love with you the way I did and um, learn a little bit more about you and what you do at Social Impact Solutions. You're the co-founder, right? Correct. That's correct. Yeah, so introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to share personally, and talk to us about Social Impact Solutions. Absolutely. So we started Social Impact Solutions. We're coming up on six and a half years ago, and it was really born out of a desire to share what are the primary levers that nonprofits can pull, what are the primary activities that nonprofits can pull to do two things, to raise more money and do more good. That was the whole idea. And so my partner and I had worked in the nonprofit space. We'd also worked in other worlds and, you know, fundraising, you know, from a business standpoint, but also from a nonprofit standpoint, we just saw there are just a few key critical components that if nonprofits can, can communicate the social impact, like the actual impact that they're making in the community and be able to report that appropriately to donors and funders of all types, they get a disproportionate return on investment for their effort, which allows them to raise a lot more money and do a lot more good. So serve more people, serve and advance their cause in many ways moving forward. Hmm. That sounds a little hard to measure though. So, but let's dial back for a second. What is specifically, I mean, I know what it is, but I want to hear it from you. What specifically is nonprofit social impact and why do we want to know this? Why, why does it matter in our world? I think it's a great question. And it's impact is a word that is thrown around a lot. Yeah, right? for it's sure. Like I'm always using impact. it. When, I don't even yeah, know how many times a week a I use it. Uh-huh. And a lot of times when we're talking to, it really doesn't matter where they're coming from, but if the nonprofit space, they, they connect impact with raising money. And we love raising money, right? We're all about helping organizations raise money. But 
Funders, the, the primary reason why a donor gives to your organization is the social impact you create with the people that you serve or the cause that you are serving, right? And so you've got to think about social impact is the change that you're creating in the world over time. And so you're a human services organization. What, what kind of example, Don, do we want to use? Let's just let's pick on a, a type of nonprofit and we can just sort of put together, you know, a social impact case for them. Well, something near and dear to my heart is um, acceptance of individuals with disabilities. Can Absolutely. we run with that? Okay, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. We've worked with several clients in the, in the in that space, and so I think it's very, very appropriate. And so, if we're going to talk about specifically acceptance, right? I grew up in a family that had um, family members with disabilities. I understand, you know, what that's like. With how do you gauge whether or not a community is accepting? of people with disabilities. Just that right there. If that is the goal, if the goal is to increase acceptance for people with disabilities, you need to establish a baseline. Where is it today? So what is the acceptance like today? And without going too much into the weeds, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, open the open the doors over here, like look behind the curtain. There, the University of Kansas. So there's the Beach Center for Disability at the University of Kansas. Kansas. It is a wonderful institute that they have put together. And specifically, they have metrics, they have um, survey tools, they have so many different really rigorous academic tools that they have put together to measure things like acceptance or to measure things like family quality of life for people with disabilities. And so I'm going really deep into the weeds on what it looks like to measure it. But you would use a, a survey that they have built to gauge acceptance for people with disabilities to establish a baseline. It's just like if I want to become a better runner, let's say I want to become a better 5K runner, I need to go do a five mile or excuse me, a 5K time trial to establish where I'm at. I need to determine where am I today versus where do I want to go? Like, OK, I ran it in this time, but I need to shave three minutes off of that 5K. Well, I need to start doing a running plan, improve over time, and then do another 5K time trial and see how much change there was, see how much improvement. It's the same idea with, with impact, where you can say, what is the acceptance for people with disabilities in this group, whether it's at a church, whether it's at a school, whether it's in a neighborhood, whatever the group of people are. Let's take that baseline, and then we can build programs that are all about acceptance for people with disabilities and then you measure it again. And that really is impact. It's the difference between where you started and to where you are today versus where you want to go. So why does why does it matter? I mean, why can't a nonprofit just, you know, we know we need programs and just start doing their programs and helping people and um, delivering their services. Right. Why the measurement before and after and the um, documentation of what has changed or what has been impacted over time? Yeah, it's a great question, Don. Really, really good question. And I think one way of looking at this, if you're going to put yourself in the shoes of your donors, just to mm -hmm. go ahead and look at it from your donor's perspective, why should they give you $1,000, right? Why should they give you $100, $10,000, $10 dollars doesn't matter. Why should they give you money? You can also ask the question like, why do we have nonprofits, you know, as a country, as a, as a community, as a world society, why do we have nonprofits? You know, 
Nonprofits exist to solve problems that businesses are not designed to solve. Right. Okay. That's, that's sort of an important thing to think about. Nonprofits, like we raise money from people who we do not directly serve. We raise money from people to go serve somebody else. We're in the business world. Yeah, I give you money and I do something for you. Right. There's an exchange. There's a one to one exchange. But nonprofits, it's all about we want to make our community stronger in some way, shape or form. And what donors are looking for, and at the end of the day, this is what's most important. The people that you serve or the cause that you serve, if you're measuring what if you're measuring your impact, if you're measuring how effective your programs are, you're doing more good for the people that you serve. And that's what your donors want to do anyway. So we're trying to create alignment with the cause and with your funders. And that's what's so important. Like when you actually measure the thing that matters, which is your social impact, you're able to raise a lot more money, but more importantly, you're able to do more good for the people that you serve or for the cause that you serve. Okay. All right. But it sounds really hard to measure it. I mean, how do you measure acceptance? You right. know, you can take a group like you mentioned, you know, um, a religious group, I think you mentioned, mm -hmm. or you can take a sports group. Maybe right. the religious group is ahead or behind and the sports group is the opposite. Right. How do you know which one is right? And how many, like, how, how do you get to your baseline? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you have to start, and this is a, if you want to talk about more challenging types of place to measure, this would be one of the more challenging, just like advocacy is a hard thing to measure. Mm -hmm. This is sort of in a similar realm and that's totally okay. I'm happy to run with, with the analogy, but the reality is if you're just going to, survey students at a, or people at a church. Let's just go with a religious group. You're going to talk about how does the person feel? How does the individual with disabilities feel? Or how does the family with the child with disabilities, how do they feel with regard to acceptance at this community? How, how do they feel? And it's just a survey. I mean, just like we do any kind of survey as from a business standpoint and that promoter score, it's just like a survey. So I would start really, really basic with some kind of survey by surveying the family or surveying the individual with disabilities on how accepted do you feel here? Uh, then gauge it right there. And if you have a nonprofit program and there are religious organizations that have programs for families with disabilities, you just do a pre and post. So before mm -hmm. they start going through the program, how do you feel now versus how do you feel six months from now, 12 months from now, a year from now, you know, respite care is really, really important for families affected by disability. You know, parents, especially caregivers, especially are extraordinarily, you know, quote unquote, overworked and under resourced. I'm sure this is something that is very relevant from the world that you live in, understanding how taxed caregivers are. And so respite care is often the primary, the most effective service that you can provide for a family that has a child with disabilities. It's, it's just such an effective way to be like, how did you feel before you started this program? Versus how is your family doing after? And what matters is that change from your survey. Yeah. That, that really is what makes the biggest difference there. And not everything is subjective. Like, how do you feel? I mean, a, a mission could be designed to see how a community employs individuals with disabilities. And that's then a different measurement, maybe something a little bit more concrete, like, okay, before our service and program and education and working with partners and retailers, yes. we employed, you know, 
1,000 people, but afterwards creating these networks and partnerships and opportunities, we are now employing 3,000. That's a little bit more concrete then. Interesting. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm following you. So now- You can take that even further, Don. That's what's fun. Go ahead, take it, please. So if you have those kinds of metrics, you're now employing 1,000 to 3,000, so 2,000 additional people. Well, how many working hours is that, right? Talking about the amount of time, so you can just go deeper and deeper with the data. Uh, That's this many working hours. This is this much money contributed to society by people that may not have had those opportunities to do that. It's tax revenues added back to the city. Like there's so much you can go deeper and deeper and deeper just by saying, what did that do? Because there's a lot of data to extrapolate by we employed three times as many individuals with disability. I mean, that's a huge statement right there. That's an enormous But the further you can take that, you can then go to a quality of life survey for those employees. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you feel now that you have this position here? How does this add value to your life? You can just go further and further and further. And that's a true societal impact. I mean, you think about an organization like Goodwill. They employ people from a myriad of backgrounds that would have a much harder time finding work than otherwise. And we're talking about tens of thousands of employees. It's enormous, huge, huge, huge. I mean, employee base, and they're able to piggyback off of those impacts and take it further and further and further, which is why enormous funders continue to give money to Goodwill for the work that they're doing. So is that what you would do at Social Impact Solutions and the customers and clients that you serve? Do you help them peel back the layers of the onion to get to these are the data points you need to be looking at. This is how we can go about setting a debt benchmark. This is when you need to reevaluate, create the story. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you guide your clients through? Absolutely. It absolutely wow. is. And it doesn't have to be this complicated. Like we've started off from a pretty complicated standpoint with quality of life surveys and employee yeah. data and stuff like that. We would start much more simply. We would mm-hmm. start with a theory of change which if you're not familiar with it, not you, Don, but if audience members are not familiar with the theory of change, it is the basis for how nonprofits can prove the good work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what's, so, that's what's so frustrating as a nonprofit leader is you know you're doing good work, right? But nine times out of 10, you're underrepresenting the good work that you're doing because you're not reviewing the information, the quote unquote, right way. I'm not saying you're doing it a wrong way, but just from the eyes of your funders, they need to see theory of change data much more than just, we served 50 people last week. Yeah. Like that's a part of the theory of change. It's not the full story that they're dying to have access to. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I am typically the recipient of data like, oh, we served this past month it's not as deep as, as, as you're describing and that theory of change. So it's good to know that you have a resource out there that could help. Um, and I guess not, I guess the outcome of it is a story, right? There's, there's a social impact story that comes out of collecting data, re-evaluating data and what the numbers, there's a story that comes out of that. So should that be communicated? Is that, is that, it should that be a part of a nonprofit communication plan? 
I think it's the most fun and effective way to communicate uh-huh. for nonprofits. Yeah. Okay. Because if you think about it, you know, there are two primary drivers for nonprofit fundraising. It's the impact data that you collect and, rep- and report and the stories of transformation that you tell. Those are the, the number one and two reasons why people give to organizations. The change that you're creating in the world and the stories of transformation. That's what they want to know. And so mm-hmm. when you think about how could I thread those two narratives together, whether I'm talking about socials, whether I'm talking about email, whether I'm talking about SMS or impact reports, those are the things that people are looking for, that funders are looking for. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a Gen Z donor or if we're talking about the Gates Foundation. They want to see those two things. They want to see data and stories of transformation. And that's what's exciting is that you get to invite your funders into this story and saying, this is the problem that our organization exists to solve. Here's how we solve it. Here's how we know it's working. And these are the people's lives that are changing along the way. And you, funder, can be a part of this story by helping us advance this cause. And X, Y, and Z means you give this much money, you create this much of an impact. That's what this boils down to. And it's a really exciting transformational way to just communicate the good work your organization's doing. Yeah, so we often hear that nonprofits need to have a story, right? Storytelling right. in nonprofit space right. is everything. But this is a scientific way to go about telling your story. It's almost a, um, it, it, it's, 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 it's taking out some of the, you know, the fluff. And, and listen, every right. nonprofit is passionate about their mission, why they get started. We're all right. very passionate people. These are definitely the story points mm-hmm. that are, is going to drive fundraising, I would think. Absolutely. So how does the nonprofit communicate that story? And what, in your opinion, how you've all heard the story of how a nonprofit got started versus the story you're describing, which, tra- which is transformational change. How do you think that affects fundraising? I think you just asked one of the best questions and we're talking about what story are we telling, right? Which story are we telling? And for nonprofit, whether you're a nonprofit founder, nonprofit employee, nonprofit marketer, whatever your role is at an organization, when you hear the phrase, tell your story, the the idea behind it is, okay, so we were founded in 1995 and our founders and this is how they got together. And then all of a sudden we saw this problem. And I mean this with, sincere kindness, no one cares <laughs> about that. And they, they need to know that you've existed for a while and that you're doing good things. But what they want to know is what is the problem that you exist to solve? And there are over a million nonprofits in the States alone, in the US, you know, all competing for money, right? They are competing for after-tax dollars, donated funds. And so think about that. They need to know like, what problem are you solving? Why does it matter? And then where do I as a funder fit into that story? Who do I become as a donor by giving to your organization? There's a great organization in Dallas that um, is a counter human trafficking organization. There's a myriad of them and they do wonderful work. And that one of their tagline is, you know, end slavery, like become an abolitionist. Like, wow, you know, we, we don't really think of ourselves as abolitionists anymore. Mm-hmm. You can become an abolitionist when you give to this organization. I'm becoming something by giving to you. And when we talk about, if you're familiar with StoryBrand, you know, there's Donald Miller. Very and Martin, familiar. Oh, yeah. big fan. 
yeah, so we've been involved with StoryBrand. We've been StoryBrand certified six years, seven years, something like that. And it's so important when we talk about narrative transformation. Who do I become as your donor, right? That's the position. You've got to put your donor as the hero of the story. Donor-centric, sure. Me, who do I become when I give to you? Like become an abolitionist is a pretty rock solid, you know, statement. You give me a thousand dollars, you become an abolitionist. Like everyone's going to get excited about that transformation. I had no idea I could be something that great. Well, I can when I give to you. And that's a really, really awesome transformation. Oh my gosh. I love this. I mean, it's taking storytelling to a whole new level. It's putting some science behind it and it is donor centric. Um, so I, I think you hit the trifecta there. Tell me what it's like working with social, um, impact solutions. Like take me through your onboarding and your, how long you work with a client and what you would do for them throughout the year. What, what does it look like? Yeah. So we have a lot of fun kicking things off with strategy sessions. We love to know where are we trying to go, right? What's the goal? Where, where do we want to be in three to five years? That's sort of what we would think like, Rather than what have we done in the past? It's like, where are we going now? In order to do that, we do need to look into the past. We need to say, you know, who are ideal funders, right? What are our primary nonprofit programs? What is our theory of change? You know, what is our primary marketing channel? So we do all of that. We do ideal donor profiles, marketing channel analysis. We build out your theory of change. So we know what your short-term, long-term impacts are, what your outputs are, you know, and then also what is the impact that we seek to create? And then from a story brand standpoint, we put together brand scripts and brand scripts are invaluable pieces of information where we know exactly the messaging tools that we need to take our nonprofit to the next level from a communication standpoint. And so we kick everything off with a strategy session. We learn exactly who we need to target from a fundraising standpoint. We know which marketing channels are most effective. And just, just so everyone knows, there, there can be so much time wasted on pursuing the wrong marketing channel, hmm. right? When you look at your donor base and you realize, wow, 80% of our revenue is coming from 20% of our donors, which is 100% always true. I mean, for every organization we ever work with, the 80-20 rule, it applies. <laughs> it's I've heard that before, yep. Yeah, it's just so everyone knows it's real. Uh, we've done it a jillion times, it never fails. And so rather than continue to pursue TikTok and to pursue Instagram and pursue all these different mediums, just find your one or two primary channels and do it well and just do it so well. You know, if you're a grant writing organization and you are killing it writing grants, don't just say, well, you know, TikTok's really crushing right now. It might not crush for you and it might not be worth your time. You're a proficient grant writing organization. Write more grants rather than we're going to become the next, you know, Instagram influencer. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so thinking about what is most effective for your organization and then doubling down, because most times organizations don't double down. They're like, okay, we need to spread out and diversify. And there's, there becomes a point when that's effective, that you're usually doing about 10 to $20 million, 10 to $20 million per year before it's time to start diversifying, just so you know. It's just mm-hmm. not worth your time yet. You yeah, still been, just want to crush. I've been hearing that a lot about um, do less well instead of more diluted, right? So yes. I think you're underscoring that. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot, John Mark. Please. 
success story. Can you give us a success story about somebody you've helped and how that has uh, impacted, there's that word again, their fundraising after working with them and creating their social impacts Absolutely. story? Absolutely. We'll definitely keep their information private because I don't think they would want of us course. to share the names associated with it. I'll give you a couple of stories. There was one organization that was completely dependent upon in-person fundraising or in-person services for about 75 to 85% of their revenue. And so COVID happened to everybody and they lost their ability to do those in-person services and their in-person fundraising. And so we had to help them, well, we didn't have to, we had the opportunity to, for them to transition to completely online and digital fundraising. Now, this was an organization that was fairly archaic in their practices. And so what we helped them do is just truly make their online digital presence, digital fundraising apparatus robust. And so we did that by cleaning up their communication strategy. I'm just going to zoom in on what that looked like. Beforehand, it was mostly just ringing the negative negativity bell. And I'm just saying this for all nonprofits. I want you to hear this. Being negative all the time about the problem that you're like, the problems that exist, the world's falling apart, like sort of doomsday marketing used to work. It just doesn't work anymore. And I want to tell you why. It's because your funders are overloaded with bad news. Every time they flip on CNN, Fox, doesn't matter. It's heavily negative. And so we switched the narrative from negativity to sort of light in the darkness kind of language. You can be the light in the dark. And these folks, they work in dire, dire, dire parts of the world. And so the conversation switched from despite the economic turmoil, despite the wars going on, despite, you know, political strife, this is what you donor are doing in these areas. And if you want to talk about just from an email marketing rate, their open rates went from 9% to 65% in 12 months. Open rates, 9% to 65% in such a short amount of time, which allowed us to raise so much more wow. money just via email. Wait, just what email. did the open rate, what did the open rates go from? 9% to 65%. Nine to six. I mean, just that is a ridiculous. I had to make sure I heard that right. That is insane. It's insane. It's insane. Truly, well insane. above the you know standard for open rates. Right, and they were below. I mean, nine's low. I mean, just so everyone hears that. I mean, nine is very, very low. But mm-hmm. just changing to a positive tone, but positioning the donor as the hero, right? But what were we sharing in those emails? This is what y'all need to hear. We were sharing the impact that they're creating. We were sharing the quality of life improvements. We were sharing their specific impact metrics that their donors were enabling by giving to the organization. So think about, they went from, we raised 75% of our money by in-person fundraising events and in-person services to that's not an option anymore, to we're transitioning to everything online and it's worked like clockwork. It's been fabulous. And I can give some other examples that are similar to that. That's fantastic. Wow. I, such a simple thing, right? Just, um, hone, you know, you're almost creating like an elevator pitch for yes. the yes. nonprofit, right? And you're doing it in a scientific way, no different than a for-profit company, right? You're kind of getting concise, succinct, 
um, just like for-profit companies put their customer, we hear customer centric, donor centric, right? Mm -hmm. I just love it. I love how all the pieces come together. Now this elevator pitch is pretty darn important then getting it. I think everybody in the organization needs to know it. Volunteer, worker, board members, donors, right? So is that something that you help your clients do as well? Getting that elevator pitch together? It's a really big part of it. It really is. And I think where things can feel a little disheartening to some organizations, it's like, yeah, but the people that we serve are the heroes of the story. Our cause is the hero. And that's also true, right? But there's just multiple stories going on. And so if you can learn to segment the stories and understand, okay, what story am I telling right now? In an email, in a marketing email, or in a fundraising email, it's like, oh, I'm telling a story to a donor. Well, who's the hero of the story? Well, the donor's the, the hero donor. Of Right. Okay. That's fine. Or if I'm giving a speech and I'm telling a story of someone's life that's been transformed, they're sort of the hero, but the audience members are actually the hero. You always want your audience to be the hero of the story. I'm just going to go ahead and say it that way. Okay. You want yeah. them to see, oh, wow, I made that happen. I had no idea my gift was so impactful. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. And so when we're talking about elevator pitches, it's who's the hero of the story. And so when we were you know, working with a bunch of for-profits, we've worked with private equity groups, venture capital groups, startups to do elevator pitches. We've done it a jillion times over. And we just applied the same methodology to nonprofits. Be like, let's tell the information that's most meaningful to your donors. Just like when you're a startup trying to raise money from venture capitalists, it's not impact metrics, it's investor metrics, which are very similar. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a different, it's just, it, it's just a different take on the same idea. This is fascinating. Their donors want the same stuff. They want to know what difference. Well, they're investing in in, in the mission. Yes. I mean, they're no different than an investor, really. 100% agree with you. We Mm -hmm. truly, we've written a myriad of blogs on your don't treat your donors like investors because they already view themselves that way. Just Mm -hmm. align with where they already are. Yeah. Well, I've heard this is just refreshing and fascinating. I mean, I've listened to countless thought leaders on storyboarding and storytelling and story arcs. And there's great advice out there. I really love the social impact, scientific, concise approach, especially the donor-centric aspect of it that you've put together, um, you know, through social impact solutions. This is exciting. Um, But I think... Now I know, John Mark, that our audience is going to want more. They're like, okay, I get it. Yep. Got to get my story together. We're going to put all your contact information, if it's okay with you, in the show notes. So if we need those resources, they're available. Um, But could we give our audience a little bit more? What are you doing April 24th? That's going to sound really random, but are you busy April 24th? You know, I think we've got something scheduled April 24th for an elevator pitch workshop, if I remember correctly. I think so. Okay, I'm being (laughs) cheeky. But yeah, I was so fascinated in talking with you that I'd like to take this opportunity to announce to Raise Nation Radio to please join us um, April 24th. Uh, John Mark has agreed to give up more of his time. So thank you, John Mark. I really appreciate your generosity with your time. We are going to be doing a nonprofit workshop together with John Mark. You don't want to miss that. It is not a typical webinar where you sit back and listen to John Mark talking for 
50 minutes on a Zoom call. It's going to actually be a workshop. So we're going to give you a homework assignment in advance. We're going to ask you to come prepared with your homework. And we're actually going to go through creating an elevator pitch so that you could be really succinct in your communication with your community. And um, look out for that. The landing page will be up soon at onecause.com and we'll have all different opportunities for you to, to join us. But um, I'm excited for this workshop, John Mark. What, what do you think? How do you think this is going to play out? I'm super excited about it. And there's a few reasons why. And so this is true for business owners. It's true for nonprofit leaders. When you're as close as you are to the organization that you work for, it's hard to understand there's this idea that Leela Fever um, pioneered called the curse of knowledge. And we talk about it all the time in the story brand community. When you understand something so well, it's really hard for you to quote unquote, dumb it down so that someone who is not as familiar can really understand. We see this all the time with excellent nonprofit leaders, and these can be excellent communicators, but it can be really hard to understand. And it's called the curse of knowledge because you understand it so well the curse is you don't know how to communicate it to someone that's never been made aware of this problem before. And so someone that's never been, let's just say never been around a family with disabilities or family members with disabilities, they don't understand the challenges that people with disabilities face. They have no idea. And so for someone that has been, and you start using language like, well, you know, respite care is a huge issue and people with disabilities are marginalized all around the world and all of these things. And Oh, wow. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, what's respite care? You know, what is, what is it, what's it like to be marginalized as a, an individual with disabilities? And so with an elevator pitch, you, I don't like the phrase dumb it down, but you simplify it so much so that anybody could understand it. Anyone can get it. And the purpose of an elevator pitch, and I just want to say this, the purpose of like 99% of nonprofit marketing is for someone who has never been made aware of your problem before right? For people that get it, you don't always have to talk to them like it's, you know, level one, easy to understand, or like third grade language or third grade understanding. But most people are not aware of the problem that you solve. They're not aware of the issue that you're so passionate about. And so it's on us as communicators to say, listen, this is the issue. This is the problem that we exist to solve. Here's how we're solving it. And here's how you can make a difference in a community that needs you desperately by, by becoming involved. And that's an elevator pitch. Like we're talking yeah. about one to three sentences. You've got 15 to 30 seconds, you know, to really get it out. But get someone inspired to want to learn more. You want to set those, you know, those hooks in, those story loops. Be like, wow, I want to learn more. That's amazing. Yeah. I can't wait. I really can't. And if you're listening to this podcast episode after April 24th, not to fear, we are going to record that session with you, John Mark. So we'll have it on demand and it could live evergreen. And I think it's just going to be really, really, really exciting. I think I'm going to come with my homework and um, looking forward to ending that webinar. Um, many of our audience knows that I helped my daughter run her nonprofit that she right. started at a very young age. We don't have an elevator pitch and I don't know that we have a social impact story. We have stories. We have yes. all kinds of things going on and we're doing 
we're doing a lot of good in the world and we're doing a lot of right, but by gosh, we could get a lot better, mm. a lot tighter, a lot leaner, meaner. And um, I know that you're going to help. That webinar is going to be, well, I should call it a workshop, workshop webinar. Yeah. That's going to be uh, really exciting. Well, this has just been fascinating. I hope to continue the conversations with you. We're going to get all that good information, maybe even your blog um, in the show notes, if you don't mind me sharing, because it's just great stuff. I mean, we have to get sharp in 2024, right? There's been a lot of challenges. Um, The world hasn't been kind to nonprofits. Well, the world just hasn't been kind in the past couple of years. We have faced really, really tough challenges and we've got to get back on our feet. So we really have Mm -hmm. to just hit that target a little closer. It's more important now than ever. And I know with your help, we can do that. So thank you for sharing and taking the time today. Oh my goodness. It's so much fun. It's such a delight to get to talk with you and get to share just good news. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to use the phrase best practices, but just think about it, getting more for the work that you're doing. So yeah. just think about leverage that way. It's like, how can we get more for the same amount of work? Like that's a higher leverage activity. Yeah. And this is what's so much, this is what's so important for 2024 with concerns about costs, concerned about fundraising. I mean, inflation continues to wear us out. You know, where's the money going to come from? It's just the same amount of energy in, but a different amount of reward on the other side. That's what we're trying to share. Yeah. Well, I love the light bulb moments. You know, I love thinking about your donors as investors, making it donor centric, being succinct getting the right story out. I mean, just so many good nuggets today. And I know we're going to continue to hear a lot from you in 2024. Um, But fearless fundraisers, I'm so sad. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 1230 p.m. That's Thursdays, 1230 p.m. Eastern time for all the new episodes. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Follow us on your favorite channel because we're everywhere. We stream on 10 different channels and on demand at onecause.com and live from the annual Raise Conference, which takes place in September and tickets are on sale. Shameless plug. So be sure we have some promotions running. Be sure to get your tickets for the 2024 Raise Conference. So I'd like to thank our sponsor, OneCause, for making this episode possible. OneCause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use digital fundraising solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Check it out at onecause.com and visit the resource tab on the homepage. We have a broad catalog of content and eBooks, um, our podcasts, our webinars, and hopefully you'll find all of that helpful. It's all free. A huge shout out again and thanks with so much gratitude to my guest, uh, John Mark Vanderpool from Social Impact Solutions, uh, just for taking the time, for joining us today, for committing to join us in April for a workshop, and just for your expert and authentic voice. Thank you so much for being with us. But I have to ask, any last words of inspiration for our audience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's it's very challenging and tempting to be like, wow, this 2024 could be a bruiser of a year, right? There's very obvious things. You know, we've seen a lot of donor reports that have come out where giving is low. We're seeing reports on, you know, inflation continuing to rise and just concerns, right? There's lots of concerns. And the reality is we've been through a lot of these things before. COVID was pretty shocking. Um, But there are things that we can do. There are things that we can get rid of 
and double down on the things that actually work. And Don, you said this earlier, you know, just do more with less. That really is the secret, right? We have worked with nonprofits of all sizes. I'm just going to let you know. We're talking about startups to multi-billion dollar year nonprofits, just letting you know. And the, the same advice rings true. Focus on what's essential and apply more resources to what's essential and get a disproportionate return. Be willing to experiment with new things, right? Be willing to experiment with other types of marketing channels, but just focus on what matters most. And it's the people that you serve. Number one, the people or cause that you serve is the most important thing. But when you can give that impact data, when you can tell that impact story to your funders and just create that kind of alignment through a meaningful, impactful, honest, good, straightforward way, you will get a disproportionate return. I can assure you of that because that's what they're looking for. Your impact that you're creating is what they're giving to. So be inspired by that. I know you're going through a hard time. You may be going through a hard time. You'll be doing great, but focus on what's essential and you will, you will see a steady return. Well, 2024 is definitely the year of challenges, but I think it's also the year of opportunity. And we can't keep doing the same thing the same way and think we're going to get different results, which I think is exactly what you're saying. We need to try to do something new. And with your help, we can do that. So thank well, you. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a great yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I'm, I, I can't wait. I, I have had look a little behind the scenes, behind the curtain look at what we're doing. I'm already working on my homework. So I'm going to come prepared. <laughs> Don, thank <laughs> you so Mark. much. Thank you so much. That is a wrap. Until next time, I'm Don Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. Stay fearless. 